Thank you for tuning in to the latest installment of the Ropes and Gray Alumni Podcast. I'm Amanda Austin, a life sciences licensing partner in our strategic transactions group and a member of the alumni committee. I am delighted to be joined today by Heidi King-Jones, a friend and a former colleague. Heidi, thanks so much. If you don't mind, let's start our conversation by talking about your career post Ropes and Gray. Hi, Amanda. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, gosh. So um, I didn't go too far after leaving Ropes and Gray. I went to a Ropes and Gray client, which was Sarepta Therapeutics um, in 2013. And at the time, uh, Sarepta was a pre-commercial small biotech um, that was beginning to scale up um, and in the process of filing um, its first NDA um, with the FDA for um, what eventually became its first approved drug, um, which is Exondus 51, which was the first uh, muscular dystrophy drug to ever be approved by the FDA. Um, and I've continued to go to two other companies after that, Excella um, and Prevention Bio, and um, have had the pleasure of scaling up both companies and after Sarepta and um, had the fortune at Prevention Bio of um, bringing another first-in-class product to market with the approval of teplizumab. Um, and so really over the last, you know, 10 years have spent time um, really in the sweet spot of taking companies public um, and then focusing on the R&D phase and preparing companies and scaling them up uh, to become ready and compliant for commercialization. That's a really interesting path in your post-ropes life. Uh, very interested in what you have found most challenging and also most rewarding about in-house versus law firm life. It's so different and so similar. At the end of the day, I think one of the things that is most challenging in-house versus ropes and gray is that you're really bringing in to every meeting, if you're doing it right, all the different perspectives that should be at the table as you're problem solving. You're not just bringing in the view of the legal function or head, you're bringing in your chief commercial officer, you're bringing in your chief scientific officer and your chief medical officer and your chief financial officer. And that is very rewarding because you learn a lot. But it's challenging because I think people really have different lenses, um, push your perspective. And I think everyone is always trying to do what's best for patients first and the company. And so I think it's it's challenging to have all of those different points of views at the table. Um, but it's also what helps you grow. And it, it's also what leads to creative problem solving um, to you know the myriad of problems that biotech companies face on a day-to-day -day basis. Not too dissimilar, I guess, from what was very rewarding um, at Ropes and Gray, which is as a deal lawyer during my time um, at Ropes, I did get to work with attorneys um, from different disciplines and, of course, learn from the tax lawyers and the employment lawyers, um, all the great experts that I hire now as an in-house attorney to help me um, in the world of biotech that I live in. I think at both places, I consider myself a student of law, a student of biotech, and a student of life. And it really is just an honor to work with so many brilliant people, just like I take pieces of them um, in things that I learn and that make me a better leader and person. 
um, I hope they leave little pieces of me um, and the things that I've learned um, with all of those that I work with and interact with. So both equally rewarding and amazing environments. Yeah, that's that's so well said. And it's a really nice transition also into the next question that we would love to, to know more about. You recently experienced a, a major transaction where Prevention Bio was acquired by Sanofi. And very curious as to what that experience was like for you, particularly when you compare it to, as you mentioned, being a deal lawyer at a law firm, the comparison between your experience running deals at a law firm and a, a major transaction like that. Thank God for the ropes and grays of the world, because I think the deal, right, the anatomy of a deal in-house is is sort of very mixed in with the business and strategy and what you're trying to achieve and then balancing all of that with just running the business, right? And so the, the deal um, becomes, I think, one of your priorities, but, you know, until that deal closes, you can't drop the ball on the business and planning and executing for success as an independent organization. And so I partnered very closely with Ropes. They represented us on this deal. And the Ropes team, much like, you know, my time when I was at Ropes was definitely focused on all the specialists that needed to be involved in the deal and really, you know, ensuring that the process and documents and filings that um, needed to be made in connection with the deal were all followed um, and executed flawlessly. Um, I think in-house, um, we were then able to focus on um, the needs of the negotiation points and deal points. And so I'm spending a lot of time on the phone during the middle, right, and throes of the deal with my chairman of my board, um, with my CEO, with the rest of the board, um, not just reiterating, I think, the more formal points that we would discuss with Ropes and Gray at a board meeting, but also helping them read between the lines, educating them on what the law or the legal points or the processes that were reviewed meant for the business, meant for them, meant for the employees, meant for patients, meant for the products. Um, and at the same time, I think when you go through a major deal like that, the organization gets distracted and so spend a lot of time um, helping my fellow leaders at the organization, making sure that the train continued running, for lack of a better word, which is harder than you think, because another thing that you have to manage in a deal is leading through uncertainty you know, people get very nervous. You don't want to lose your star players and performers at the organization. So you want to partner closely with HR um, and with your culture and culture leaders of your organization, again, to ensure that your train is continuing to run because at the end of the day, the whole purpose of the organization is to bring health and other options um, for various diseases, both you know, that are being researched. But for us, we had one commercial product and making sure that that commercial product was making it to patients smoothly. You know, one of many things that I've always admired about you is your ability to handle many different balls in the air in a way that is calm and unflappable. Um, and so that sounds like that one of your many skills came in very handy during um, <laughs> during that time. For folks who may be thinking about going in-house, could you descri describe a typical day in the life at Prevention Bio um, for you? Prevention Bio um, was a virtual organization even before COVID. And so I think that brought um, 
a very interesting um, earlier workday that was happening, I think, um, informally while, you know, I think I'm getting my daughter ready for school, which is great, I have to say. Um, but I start there because before I took the job at prevention, I was very concerned about being able to be effective virtually with a team that I had never met in person. And much to my surprise, um, I think I was not equally as effective, but even more effective um, than I was in sort of my previous jobs where, you know, we all had to get to the office before we started engaging because our days did start earlier and end later, but there was a lot of flexibility in between. Um, and so my day normally would start, I would say, with various unscheduled calls from my fellow C team members. It was not unusual for my day to start with a call from Ashley and us looking at the priorities of the day and really making sure that he and I were aligned on things that he was executing on and items that I was executing on or things that we were jointly um, going to approach our fellow C team members with. Mondays were our executive team meetings. So bright and early, he and I would normally touch base. Then that would be followed by, you know, a quick call with our chief commercial officer. As we um, recently launched a product, you can plan for the best, most compliant and flawless launch that could ever be planned. Um, but all launches have curveballs. Um, and so usually there would be a curveball or two that my chief commercial officer and I would uh, need to connect on um, or follow up on. Um, or calibration, you know, that needed to be made um, or feedback that needed to be given. The peppering of calls in the middle of the morning then would roll into more formal meetings. And I think this is the part that looks more like um, the brick and mortar. But again, we did everything for the most part over Zoom. And so, you know, 839, um, we usually had our more formal scheduled calls and so, you know, not unusual for us to have a three-hour CT meeting um, where we are really bringing in our integrated thinking and not just focused on our individual department obligations and execution, but where we could create value. Um, really, really rewarding time because you're not, you're not only sharing what you're doing, but what how it's going to impact, you know, other functions and operations uh, at the company and to do that function by function and very consistently see places where value could be added um, is super rewarding. And again, I think a pretty normal thing to do uh, when you're in-house. Um, then you've got your team meetings. And so not unusual for then me to roll into a set of calls or one-on-ones or a group meeting with my legal team, my compliance team and communications. So at prevention, I had the VP of communications report directly into me. And that was um, a joint effort by the CEO and I to create a head at the organization that dealt with integrated corporate communications um, the whole way through, right? So it's not just SEC disclosures that need to be um, addressed and coordinated with IR, with product communications, with marketing. Um, and so that became, I think, my passion and love project, that prevention. And so I dedicated, you know, on an average day, um, a meeting or two to different communication efforts at the company. Um, again, not just for compliance purposes, but 
for strategic purposes. And then I really, and this is hard when you're at a biotech that's moving a million miles per hour, but really early afternoon, I try to reserve some time for me to plan ahead and think. So, okay, great. These were my priorities this morning. Has anything changed? Do I continue with my checklist that I developed this morning or have things changed so that I need to rejigger my afternoon um, and reprioritize or move meetings around to address more urgent matters? Usually you have a couple of uh, meetings where you are dealing with things that are getting escalated to you as an executive, um, whether that's dispute resolution between employees or um, employees that are stuck on something and don't know where to go or don't know how to interpret something. You know, one popular one early on um, in a early launch op- launch of a product is um, dealing with materials um, or interpretation of SOPs and policies that are different between different departments and team members and making sure that you address those quickly. Um, and then last but not least, you know, I tend to touch base with my deputy general counsel because they have their own priorities and world that they're dealing with and that they're trying to execute on and my paralegal um, and then really trying to take some time to swoop back around uh, with my fellow CT members at the end of the day to ensure that nothing has come up um, that requires, you know, urgent attention or care. Um, again, just like I'm moving a million miles per hour, so is everyone else. And then really taking some time for the family and trying to work out on a good day, although not always, but, you know, usually picking back up with a few hours of catching up on email um, and then a few calls resulting from that in the evening. But um, sounds like a lot, but um, it's incredibly fun and rewarding, I promise. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say, it sounds like quite a day. (laughs) But um, no, that was incredibly helpful to hear. And it really shows the your role bringing in different functional areas and being a hub for communication throughout the company, uh, which is which is really interesting. You touched upon this a bit in context of um, similarities between um, you know specialists and making sure all stakeholders are at the table and weighing in. But did your experience at Ropes prepare you for um, your in-house roles in any other way? Gosh, absolutely. You know, I always say you you don't really learn how to be a lawyer until, you know, you're at work and working with lawyers. Law school is great, but I really don't think on the corporate side, um, it really prepares you for really what practicing corporate law or being in-house counsel would be like. And so I think a lot of the foundational skill sets that I use at as in-house counsel, absolutely um, work from things that I learned at Ropes. Um, You know, I think I was very lucky to work with um, really amazing attorneys like David Fine. We had a couple of clients that I was um, fortunate to work with who he worked on an ongoing basis and not just for deals, but in between deals. And I think really learning the world of the people that you're serving Um, And understanding that if you do that, you'll be a better lawyer for them and then bring other value to the table because you have a different lens than they do. Um, And even if you're not just focused on the law, that lens allows you to help them see things um, that they otherwise wouldn't. But you really need to be immersed in the business and understand the product and understand the people. And so I think that 
early lesson um, from David is something that I carry with me and I bring to the table, every table that I sit on. I realize that I have a certain lens and I realize that the person across the table from me or at the table next to me um, is trying to achieve something. And very quickly, I try to understand their world, their perception and what their needs are and see where I may be able to add value and problem solve with them. And then I think the other tenant is, look, we're all pretty smart, but um, no one is going to know everything. And you need to stay very humble um, and aware of the things that you don't know so that then you can reach across the table and bring the right expert to the table. I think that's a huge strength um, when you know your limitations and you know when to say, you know what, I need to bring an employment lawyer in. Um, I need to bring a licensing lawyer in because I know enough to be dangerous. I know the business. I know enough to create a structure and framework. But there's great value to bringing someone to the table that is doing that thing every day and is staying up to date. Ropes and Gray, while I was there, was a very busy place. You know, it wasn't unusual for me to be on multiple deals at the same time. And I think it really prepared me for the fast pace of, of biotech and not to be phased by or shaken by the fact that I have four, five, six, you know, or more high priority items that need to keep, you know, rolling or staying in the air. Um, and again, you really reach out to um, your resources because there is an experience limitation, there's a time limitation, and there's a resource limitation to one person. And so, you know, Amanda, being able to bring someone like you, for example, um, to help negotiate um, and really lead and take the pen um, as we sort of provided our deal points and negotiation points and strategy um, and adding your value um, to the negotiations as you brought in the legal thinking and strategy as well. That's great. And it was always our pleasure to to work with you and the team. Um, just a Just a great great team. One thing that uh, is very notable is also the, the type of tone that you strike, um, you know, as both a client and in-house as a colleague, just very, um, you know, always collegial, always, you know, focused on the personal and the professional. And it makes, you know, everyone's life so much easier and better, no matter, you know, what hours you're working. So wanted to, to make sure, because you mentioned earlier, hoping that you leave you know, little pieces behind and you absolutely do. Now that you have um, this really impressive experience and hindsight looking back, um, do you have any advice for younger associates who are coming up the ranks and thinking about the next steps in their career? Absolutely. I think really um, take the time to be honest with yourself as to what you're enjoying, what you're good at, what stresses you, um, where you shine, where things get a little bit tougher for you, and really, really be thoughtful about what it is that you would like to do and collecting the experiences and information for you to make decisions and create optionality for yourself. I think there are so many ways to be happy and successful talking to people who've taken different career paths, talking to different people within ropes um, who've taken different, you know, approaches to getting to where they are and, and really being thoughtful about what you're experiencing, but also where you want to go. 
I think is really important. And that's hard to do when you're super busy. Um, I think it's hard to be that self-reflective and aware. Um, but I think as busy as you are, especially at the beginning of your career, because there are so many options and so many different ways and paths that you can take, I think it's important to at least once a month, lift your head up and say, what did I do? Who did I do it with? Was I really good at it? Did I enjoy it? Where are my gaps? Do I want to pursue filling those gaps because that's going to lead me to a path that I want to go? Or do I want to pivot and really focus on this strength that I have because I really enjoy that and therefore those gaps are less important to that path? I think doing that, you know, as often as you can is important, not just early on in your career, but also later. I think, you know, I try to do that still as often as possible. But I think the biggest mistake that we all could, you know, fall into is just working in no particular direction and not reflecting. Because I think often then you end up you know, months later or years later in a position where you do take a moment to reflect and you may not be where you want to be. Um, never too late to change and pivot. But I think if you try to be self-aware as often as possible, ask yourself those questions and try to assess those things, um, you'll have a more thoughtful and hopefully more fulfilling career path. That, that's great advice. And I, it leads um, very nicely. And I think it probably answers to some extent. The next question I had was with respect to folks who are currently um, working at a law firm, considering moving in-house, are there any factors in particular that you would call out to uh, attorneys when they're evaluating that that move that they should be thinking about? Yeah, absolutely. I think first, talk to someone who's in-house because I think life in-house is very different than life at a firm. Depending on the resources of the company that you're at, the pipeline, the size of the organization, the experience in-house could be vastly different as well based on those things, including you know the industry. But even within industries, again, um, things can vary quite a bit. So I think Making sure that you understand um, what it means to go in-house is something that you definitely want to do. Um, and I think I've seen a lot of people jump in-house before they had enough information and regret it, um, or people jump in-house way later um, than you know they had previously planned and said, man, I wish I had done this sooner. I think, again, the biggest difference is you are not just you know, a lawyer, but you are a business partner when you're doing things well in-house and you got to live your budget. Um, you have to be able to not just dole out advice, but operationalize it and guide your people to operationalize the legal advice that you're giving them or that policy that you just put in place. And, and it is a different focus. And again, for some people, they really enjoy that. For other people, they may find that draining. And again, that's if you've been reflecting on, on where your strengths and weaknesses are and what gives you, you know, let's call it professional joy versus drain. Um, those are all things you want to think about seriously and consider um, as you think about a move uh, in-house. Great. I'm sure that will be really helpful to attorneys who are who are listening when they're considering 
their next steps um, or rather to to stay put. We'd love to wrap up with just a couple of probably more rope centric questions. <laughs> yeah. Um, and um, the, the first one is just about your mentors at Ropes. You mentioned David Fine, who was a mentor to so many of us and um, and was it's wonderful. Um, any other mentors at Ropes who especially influenced your career? You know, there are people who mentored you who could be your mentors, I think, substantively. And David Fine was certainly um, one of those. But there are so many people who... I think we're mentors in multiple ways, whether it's shaking the jitters of being, you know, at Ropes and Gray and walking through the doors and and feeling different and not quite sure if you're supposed to be there to people who, you know, mentored me through, you know, being a first year associate in the different stages and the things that I needed to bring to the table. But gosh, some of the names that the people who, who I had moments with that really, I think, changed and helped shepherded me during my time at Ropes were David Fine, Mary Weber, Loretta Richards, Mike Beauvais. Oh gosh, the list can go on and on. Um, Mike Beauvais, who I never had the pleasure of working with, but became someone who I still am in touch with, was someone who would, you know, work late hours like I did and remind me that I needed to go home. But also, you know, had pearls of wisdom um, that he would drop, um, you know, when you're struggling with things like, oh, gosh, I have this family event, but I have these three deals. Like, what do I do? Right. So talking to um, a partner like Mike about things like that and how to navigate it within ropes, um, it makes a difference. Right. And it makes those days, to your point, Amanda, easier. And again, you know, there are um, a lot more Diane Patrick, who, you know, I think paired up with David to develop a leadership program for attorneys of color at Ropes and Gray. Amanda, there's people like you, right? And um, and alumni at Ropes who were a couple of years ahead of me um, who just really, really, you know, kept their watch um, over you or, you know, grabbed you and said, hey, you worked on this. Here are two or three things you could do better, right? So that next time... Um, you could bring more to the table. But yeah, those are some of the people that really impacted and mentored me. Thank you for for walking through that. Um, And the last question, you know, um, is, you know, what, what do you miss, you know, of course, if anything about, (laughs) about ropes and your time at ropes, um, just generally? I think there was a sense of these are my first years as an attorney. And I felt that I was surrounded by just brilliant attorneys and people. And I had, I think, amazing immediate access to those people. I think that was something that was really cool and to be, you know, cherished and valued for people who have it. Um, I think there's a lot of free advice amongst attorneys that happens. Um, And so, you know, now that I'm outside counsel, I definitely have to pay for all the expertise um, that I I bring to the table from ropes when I call you guys. I think the lawyer brain trust is, is one of the things that I miss the most. Um, I think in biotech, if you do a little bit of what I do, which is really get brought in to create the legal department and function and operationalize it, it can be lonely sometimes, right? Because you're the only lawyer. Um, and I think 
you know, that's something that I definitely miss being surrounded by the brain trust of amazing attorneys at Ropes. Well, we definitely miss miss you as well, but we're lucky to still have you in the orbit. Just wanted to say thank you, Heidi, for joining us today and sharing your thoughts and incredibly helpful advice. It's always such a pleasure to catch up with you and to follow your career. And it's wonderful to reconnect with alumni. And I know our alumni community will really appreciate the chance to hear about your experiences while at the firm and your career post Ropes and Gray. And for the alumni out there, um, please visit the alumni website at alumni.ropesgray.com to stay up to date on our alumni and to get the latest news about the firm and our lawyers. Thanks so much for listening.